Welcome to AZ TechCast, sponsored by the Arizona Technology Council, with your hosts, Steve Zylstra and Karen Nowitz. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what is happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. If you've ever considered doing business with state or federal government entities, you know that the procurement system and sales process can feel like a maze of rules and regulations. So how can your company stand out from competitors when pursuing business opportunities with the public sector? Welcome to Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm Karen Nowicki, president and owner of Phoenix Business Radio, and I'd like to welcome you to AZ TechCast, sponsored by Arizona Technology Council. AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites tech and business experts to have real conversations about what's happening across the state of Arizona. AZ TechCast discusses the critical issues, topics, and trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. So please join me in giving a warm welcome to today's featured guest. We have Ed Jimenez, who's next to me here, Director of State Procurement, Office of State of Arizona. It feels so good to have warm bodies in the studio. <laughs> we often have this as a virtual show, so I'm really pleased that you all were able to make it down to the studio and join us in person. Welcome, Ed. Thank you very much. Happy to have you. Yeah, and we have Jennifer Woods, who's the president of Transversant. Traversant. I had Almost. it ready. Almost. <laughs> Traversant. Traversant. Yes. Uh, the Traversant Group. Welcome. Thank you. Pleased to have you. And Paul Robles. Sales executive with the state and local government and Google Cloud. You are our Google Cloud representative. Thank you very much. Pleased to have you. Sure to be here. And of course, we have Steve Zalstra, who's the president and CEO of Arizona Technology Council, and he's up on the screen with us today. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Great to be here. Yes, and Steve and I are the odd guys out because the three of you work have worked together for at least a handful of years. We have. Yes. Very yes. good. Well, today we are going to discuss the nuances of the public sector's primary motivations and operating models. We have a lot of interesting content to cover, so we're going to dive in. And we always like to begin by asking each of you to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your role in your organization, and then how that fits into Arizona's tech ecosystem. And I am going to ask Ed to start this time, if you don't mind. Uh, sure thing, Karen. Again, it's good to be here. Um, I am Ed Jimenez. I have the pleasure of serving as the state's procurement administrator. So what does that mean? It means that I have the central procurement authority across the state, and I provide delegated authorization to agencies for their spend. So I have the authorization, delegation, management, oversight of all contracting and procurement activities for the state. We're also responsible for an e-procurement system that our state entities can utilize. And we put one in about four and a half years ago. It's called the Arizona Procurement Portal. And I'll talk a little bit about that later today as, as we go through some of the questions you have. And I, I can tell you it's been very re rewarding. I come from the private sector and 30 years with the Boeing company, five years with American Airlines, two years with Mesa Airlines. And i I was telling Karen earlier, I've retired three times and keep coming back, but this has been very rewarding experience and meeting and working with people like Jen and Paul in this, in this type of government sector has been really, really good. Three retirements. Three How many are you on, Steve? You haven't retired yet, have you? No, <laughs> and any, not no, yet. And no time soon, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm starting to think about it. Good. Oh, my gosh. That's impressive that you just keep coming back for more. Well, this is a pay-it-forward opportunity, and the state need a lot of help. And I'll talk about, you know, how private businesses can come. You know, so I was fortunate to bring a lot of private industry experience to help the state pick it up a notch a little bit. And Jen, Jen mm -hmm. knows some of what we've been doing. And uh, the last six to eight months, we've been giving presentations oh. to the Chamber of Commerce and inviting in lobbyists, suppliers, uh, agency customers, and sharing with them how they can do business with the state Excellent. and what are the rules yes. and just kind of being transparent with them about how things work. And 
hopefully I think it's helped them, Jen, the, the folks out the there. The chambers have yeah, been receptive? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Great help. Good. Yeah. Jen, how about you? Hi. Well, thank you for having me today. My name is Jennifer Woods. I'm the president and founder of Traversing Group. So I founded the firm in 2013. So we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary. I'm blessed to work with clients like Google and folks like Ed. But Traversing Group, we're an Arizona-based consulting firm, and we specialize in helping businesses succeed in the government marketplace. So I am on the opposite side of Ed, helping businesses navigate the procurement process, navigate the public sector marketplace to be responsive to folks like Ed. A, a well-earned position and an advocate from all directions. Correct. So good. Thank you. Cool. Great. Um, Paul Robles and I work for Google Cloud. Actually, we just changed our uh, our relationship with the public sector. Google spun off a, an organization called Google Public Sector, specifically dedicated to federal and state and local government. And I've been with them for about two and a half years. Before this, I worked with a few other technology companies, including HPE and IBM, also in the public sector and with commercial clients. And before this, Ed, I did work for what used to be America West Airlines and turned US Airways American for 10 years. So we do have a bit of a history aviation yeah. background here. It's been a fantastic experience to work with government clients. It's an opportunity to kind of satisfy the need of really doing something, giving something back to the community. Um, at least the efforts that I put into my clients come back to us in mm -hmm. different ways. So it's been a pleasure to work in the space. Veterans, we got a good crew here. Steve, you want to kick off with the next question or you want me to take it? Well, I'm going to introduce myself. Oh, yeah. First. Hi. Oh, I'm so sorry. I've never done that before. You're like, Karen, you're always good yeah, about letting me know. Okay. Yes, um, I would be very remiss if we did not give you that opportunity. Who are you? I'm Steve Zylstra, President and CEO of the Arizona Tech Council. For the audience's sake, uh, a little bit about uh, our organization. We're a statewide organization. Uh, we have offices in both Phoenix uh, and Tucson. We do public policy advocacy at the state and federal level. We put on over 100 events on an annual basis. Uh, we have lots of publications and podcasts, and we also uh, negotiate lower cost products and services uh, for our members. We run a association health plan and 401k program. So a lot like a chamber, but focused exclusively on technology-based companies, of which there are more every day that goes by. So it's great to have our guests here and go ahead and dive in. Excellent. And and uh, shout out to you and your crew for a fantastic uh, governor's celebration of innovation last week. It was a fantastic opportunity to come together with all the folks who are really making a difference in technology and have some neat award award recipients. It was great. It was a fun event. So good. And it was the night of the election, right? That was kind of unique too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. All right. So let's get down to it. Why should the private sector consider doing business with the public sector? I think that's a pretty good question to start with. I'm happy to jump in. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. So coming from the private sector, I, I think the companies have a lot to offer the state government. They've been around a long time. They've got mature products. They can bring a lot of best practices. At the state, our governor, Governor Ducey, he developed the Arizona management system, which we call AMS. And it's a suite of lean improvement type tools. So I took that when I got here, and then I added the Lean Six Sigma to that to, to help that improve it forward. And we're hoping with the new leadership coming in that they'll continue to use those tools because I think I really believe it's helped all the agencies bring their best foot forward, give the taxpayers the best value when they're spending these funds that are coming in. So I think the, the private uh, areas have a lot to offer there. Their commodities are mature, readily available, despite the supply chain constraints going on these days, right? We're all struggling through that. But it's, it's, it's really a good opportunity to bring in these private sector companies to help the state do their business. And for the private sector companies, you've got a customer that pays, that they like long-term contracts, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you get to work on exciting projects. So it's a lot yeah, to offer. From our perspective, it's an opportunity for us to give back some of the things we, you know, that we are innovating in, in the private sector and bring those, that knowledge base, that uh, creativity, that uh, way of doing business that could help. Um, and right now, it's a great time to be 
working closely with government, there's additional funding that's come to the states from the federal government. Its purpose is to help government get to the place where we expect government to be. We've raised the bar in terms of how to deliver services, and you as a as a citizen or or constituent want to be treated the same way, whether it's through a government uh, relationship or a private relationship, right? You There's that expectation. So our point of view is how can we help government get to the place where uh, you expect uh, your services to be? Mm-hmm. You know, the Tech Council has uh, over 700 member companies across the state. And uh, oftentimes, particularly the smaller companies are somewhat fearful of uh, doing business with uh, state and federal government. Could each of you talk a little bit about what are some of the barriers associated with doing business with uh, state and federal entities? And uh, maybe later we could talk about how to break those down. I'm happy to take a stab at it. Yes, that'd be fantastic. (laughs) Because a lot of my clients have these issues. (laughs) So in terms of barriers to to entering the public sector market, I think it's a great question because I think our our dialogue will naturally turn to how can we resolve these Mm -hmm. challenges Mm -hmm. and these barriers? I think, first of all, especially for some of the members of the tech council, maybe some smaller tech tech companies, time. It takes time to work with government. And when cash flow is king, you might not have 18 months. You might not have two years to get through the government contracting process. So that's the first barrier that I think a lot of startups face. Second of all, I don't know how many of you have read a government contract, except for this guy over <laughs> here. But government contracts... You know, they're not business friendly. They're government friendly. That's what we want from our government. It's their contract. So there are quite a few terms and conditions in government contracts. That could be a, you know, a put off to some tech companies, especially emerging tech companies. You've got intellectual property rights. You've got insurance requirements. You have financial statements that are due. And a lot of times younger companies just don't have that yet. And I think finally is qualifications and experience. Government doesn't want to work with the newest, shiniest, cheapest technology or any product or service, right? They want some, they want a solution that's reliable, that's safe, that's proven, right? Because when you think about government, they're processing food stamps, they're providing safe drinking water, right? They're processing processing tax returns. They are doing all of these essential government services. They need somebody that's done it before. And so a lot of times, Steve, that is an issue with younger companies. They just don't have that time yet. And we can talk about how to fix all these things later. Yeah. So I'll turn, Paul, did you have something Yeah, to add? absolutely. Um, Google entered the public sector market just a few years ago. They've always offered their platform and services to anybody, but dealing with government requires contracting, like, yeah. uh, like Jen mentioned, it requires a lot of patients, tons of patients, even for a company like Google that has the funding and the time. It's so we operate like a small business within the broader Google um, brand. So we have to go through the growing pains of establishing relationships, understanding the how we're going to contract, understanding the potential risk associated with any kind of agreement winter with government. So every day, Jen and I talk and say, okay, can we do this? Is it possible to do that? First and foremost, right? Government's here protecting and safeguarding the funds that belong to you. Mm-hmm. So all these hoops that we have to jump through are critical for you to know that your government's acting responsibly with your funds. So I have to make sure that Ed is happy with what I'm proposing and that he has responsibilities back to any grant funding or anything else that he has he's accountable for to make sure that I'm meeting the requirements, he's meeting the requirements. So it's complex. So absolutely time. And that's that I would say that's a key. One thing I would recommend as a way to do this, especially if you're a small business, create partnerships, right? Whether you find somebody like a traversant group or Find a larger organization that has worked in the space before. We've done a lot of that at Google. We've brought in a lot of smaller development partners uh, in, under our brand. We carry some of the burden of the responsibility of the contract, and they, they start developing their solutions under us. So there's different ways to work around here. We'll address a few of those things later, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would just like to 
put this out there to all the suppliers who haven't done business with the state. I've always taken the approach after 45 years in procurement in my career, a commodity is a commodity. And if you have a commodity for your company, you know, bring it forward, right? And, and get, give it an opportunity with the state. There are challenges, as Jen cited, with the type of requirements. You talk about, you know, the grant things, federal dollar funds, things like that. But in the but in the in the private sector, at Boeing, we had to deal with the government, you know, regulations, defense acquisition rules, the federal acquisition rules. So just a little bit different twist is all. And one thing we do when we put a solicitation out. We'll have like pre-offer conferences and give suppliers an opportunity to ask questions about how all these things work, how they should complete their solicitation, be as thorough and as, as complete as they can. So I would just offer up, hey, bring your best foot forward, you know, come on in. The state welcomes everyone. There's a lot of terms in the procurement world, RFPs and solicitations and so on. Can we sort of go back to the fundamentals? What does the government uh, procurement process look like? Yeah. In, in simple terms, can you sort of walk us through it? Yeah, I'll, I'll walk you through a flow diagram that's in my head. So first off, it all starts out with the, the funding. Every fiscal year in July, the, the legislation and the gov governor approves the funding levels for all the agencies. There's over 120 uh, agencies plus in, in the state. And each agency will get a, a budget requirement for what they put a request in. I don't know, Jen, how far in advance usually they put their request for budget? September 1st. September 1st, and it takes till July to get mm -hmm. it finalized and approved. What I did on day one when I came to state government four and a half years ago, Steve, I would visit with every single director of an agency so I understood what their budget was, what their procurement needs were, and what we could do to help them, right? Because you have to know your customer. So it starts with the federal, the budgeting process, the customer, getting to know your customer, know what their budget is, if you would, and what are their procurement requirement needs. And then you work with the customer's team and other agency customers who have that same interest in that commodity. It, we call it a focus group. That focus group gets together, make sure we write the right type of statement of work that's going to go out on the street in our procurement system. And it's got everybody's needs. It has all those special terms from the federal government, special conditions, terms and conditions for the state, very well laid out. And we try to draw on as many agencies as possible so we can bring that best value to the state, if you would. Once that solicitation comes in, that same focus group will be part of an evaluation team that then evaluates each submittal that comes in from RFPs, RFIs, as you call them, and, and we score those. And we try to bring that best value, and we may select more than one supplier. Sometimes we do 8, 10, 12, 15 suppliers because there's that much work going on in the state. In some of the areas we've had challenges with all the business and supply chain constraints has been in like in the nursing, healthcare areas, truck driver areas, as all of you know this out there. And so sometimes you need more multiple contracts so you can accommodate the, the various agencies out there. And once that uh, award is made, you're notified. And the next thing you do is you bring in your team and you start a transition, a timeline. You get to know your customer, who's the right representative at each customer you should work with. You know, Paul here, he works with our CIO at the state level office. He knows exactly what our, our asset team looks for and requires for his type of service on Google. And so it's just getting to know your customer, ask the question, don't be afraid, and, and just bring it forward kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, Jennifer, you, anything to add to that? Yeah, um, with respect to the procurement process from the business side, you know, it's very important, as Ed mentioned, there are rules and regulations. So that's one thing that you know, anyone that's looking to enter the public sector, you need to be aware there are time limits, there are restrictions on communications when you can have it. So you have to be a knowledgeable, uh, a knowledgeable company. Another tip is your response. So Ed's mentioned, you know, the procurement process and how these solicitations come to be. Well, when you're the business, you have to respond to the solicitation. And you know, I've worked with with public sector executives for 20 years, and I tell them all the same thing. I tell I tell Paul this: I don't care if you know the mayor. I don't care 
if you know the state senator. I don't care if you spent a three-day workshop with the state CIO. If your response to that solicitation does not meet the requirements, you lose. It's all gone. Poof. So, you know, just being able to understand those responses. It can be tricky. Um, Maybe the tech council might be interested in doing a procurement response workshop, uh, some tips of the trade, but that's just one point I wanted to make. Absolutely. It's super important that you pay attention to, when I wrote my notes down, I said, you have to study, 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 right? Become very familiar with your client. If you think you're going to just receive an RFP and you can respond immediately, you, a lot of people are just not going to be able to have success. A lot of it has to come from your understanding of what you understand the business needs are for this for this agency or and being able to draft them properly. Procurement people and the processes are there to make a level playing field for anybody working with government, right? You are as as a citizen looking for the best value for whatever your government is spending your money on. So like Jen said, you could have a great relationship with everybody around there, but if you are not able to meet what they're requiring, they're asking of you, then you're not going to have success. So the only way to do that is to spend your time learning, understanding, and uh, putting that effort into mm-hmm. whatever you respond to. And as you pointed out, Jen, it's a long game. It's a long it game. is a long game. But the benefit is it's a long game with the, the government too. <laughs> That's a critical point that I wanted to make sure we understand that um, you have to look at it as a long-term partnership. Right. Given the complexity that it requires to enter into this market, it's also difficult for our government clients to have partners enter and exit easily. They don't want that rotating door. They need stability, right? Uh, their processes, their cycles are five, 10 years planned out. Private sector ha- lives quarter to quarter, right? It's a different way of looking at the business. I am here to build a long-term relationship with my government partners. Um, if I come in thinking that I can do a one in and out, um, most of the time you typically are out. And um, we've had many conversations with CIOs, directors, where, uh, you know, Somebody came in, provided a solution, didn't stay with the solution long-term, they were out. If the contract was over, they're done. Uh, And typically, it's difficult to come back. It's a very small community as well. It talks to his partners at at Maricopa, at the city of Phoenix, everywhere else. Why? Because you need that kind of scale to get the attention you need from, from the private sector. Karen, did you want to go to a commercial? I do. Let's do a commercial break. And right after that, oops, excuse me, I'm knocking my microphone over. Uh, then I would love to for us to have a conversation around how companies can find solicitations to submit proposals. I think that would be a, a great place to go next. So we always like to give a shout out to our sponsors. And this first shout out goes to Arizona Commerce Authority, AZ TechCast 2022 Innovation Sponsor. Our streamlined pro-business approach helps you achieve more by putting less between you and future success. Less red tape, lower taxes, less distance separating you from the tech leaders of tomorrow. This innovative ecosystem will supply your business with tools and resources to compete in the 21st century and beyond. But your future is more than just business success. In Arizona, the lifestyle you want is at your fingertips. Explore cities known for their Southwest heritage and modern vision. Enjoy beautiful scenery and endless outdoor activities on land, water, or snow. And if you're looking for a little friendly competition, we've got plenty of teams to choose from. With constant sunshine, vibrant culture, and natural wonder, Arizona provides a style of living that's entirely unique. People from all over the world call our state home. From student leaders who fill the classrooms of our top-ranked universities, to a skilled and abundant workforce that's ready for what's next. To the neighbors, friends, and peers we interact with daily, Arizonans are united by a pioneering spirit that moves us forward. So as you look to the future, know that it's filled with the perfect balance of innovation and high-quality living that makes life better here. 
was going to say just before the break, you were asking about solicitations, where to find them. Uh, I spent uh, about 20 years in the aerospace and defense industry, so um, was always looking for opportunity. And uh, at least back in the day, you know, you went to the Federal Register and uh, something you scanned on a regular basis. I'm sure that's all uh, on, uh, on the Internet now. Can we talk a little bit about uh, both at the state and federal level, how uh, you identify opportunities with the government? Sure. You want me to take that? You can take that. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, it starts with uh, suppliers uh, regist registering in our procurement system. So if you go to app.az.gov, that's a link to get a, any supplier an opportunity to register. And what's key when suppliers register, Steve, is they need to put in all their commodity codes that their company offers. Because what I've seen is a lot of companies aren't really completing that out completely. Then they'll say, oh, why didn't we get that solicitation? Well, we didn't see that commodity code in your file. right? So, so they need to be as thorough as they can with their registration. Another area I've seen is a lot of turnover at companies. So once they register, their, their contacts go away and they don't update the registration. Very important for them to do that, right? So, so and any anybody who's registered in APP, any commodity that comes up for a solicitation, RFI, RFP for the state, they'll get an invite automatically, okay? So we do that religiously. We have today over 23,000 suppliers in the Arizona procurement system for all types of commodities out there. So the best thing they could do is go register in the, in the APP system. Yeah, and you nailed it, Ed, especially with the commodity codes and with the contact information. I don't know how many times I've had a client, we didn't get the RFP. Well, that's because you put Joe in there and he left three <laughs> years ago. So that is critical. Um, just one, one comment to dovetail, Ed's, this replicates itself at the county level, at the city level, at the university level, and K-12 school districts. So just know that there are separate registrations, vendor, supplier profiles, and such. But then you can also receive those solicitations as well. And let me add one more thing. Sorry, Karen. Of course. No, you're um, good. There are bid aggregator tools. So there are different subscription services that you can pay for. They will consolidate all of the different solicitations coming out from various jurisdictions. And you'll get one email with a bunch of RFPs that are it. more specifically aligned to what you're representing. Correct. Could be, yes. That, thank goodness. So there are multiple ways, which can be overwhelming uh, sometimes, but always start with Ed and the APP because you also have locals on the APP. Chandler, right? right? Yeah. There's some cities and towns. We do. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I'll, I'd also add, Steve, that you can also look in Arizona Republic. We post uh, solicitations there as well as APP. So that's another area suppliers can go to to find. We just like just a quick follow-up question. Um, you've referred uh, a couple of times to commodities. So a lot of things are commodities, right? If you're going to buy a school bus or pencil or whatever. But what about things that the state needs that it hasn't purchased before that uh, aren't really commodities and special kinds of projects? Uh, is there a different process for opportunities like that? Well, I'll go back to, again, my procurement experience. So a commodity is a commodity. So for us, and I, I have a state procurement organization, it's really simply laid out. I have a, a general commodities group. I have a services group for various types of services that are needed for the state. And we have a technology group. And I have a senior leader over each of those areas. And that's all inclusive. Will we get a first-time requirement because of uh, IJA, the infrastructure funds? Possibly, right? But that still falls under a commodity code that's in the system. If you're going to go build a freeway like they're doing with the I-10 down to Tucson, right, you need that type of construction. They'll be working with our ADAR partners. You need construction people. And we have a lot of construction, jock, they call it job order contracts that are out there today. As a matter of fact, on 12-5, I'll be going up to Clarksdale, and we're going to go present to the, the cities surrounding Clarksdale, Jerome, Cottonwood, et cetera. And we're going to talk to them about our, our job order contracts because they're struggling with that. And what happens is Jerome may go beat somebody to get a contract in play, 
they've sucked up all the resources. And so the neighboring cities have to wait. So we're, we're going to go educate them on additional job contracts we have they can use to help them get through those things. Yeah, and right. thank just you. one other comment to dovetail. I'm just going to dovetail you we're all here. This is what we're here for. This is perfect. <laughs> you know, those commodity codes are very broadly written, Stephen. So it could be technology services. So it really is, you, you can fit in a new and emerging technology underneath one of those commodity codes because they're so broadly written. Got it. Very good. Thank you. So what advice, and I think we've already talked, uh, given several pieces of advice and, and guidance. Is there anything else that we missed around giving guidance to companies who are hoping to land their first government contract? When you're, you're coming into it new. Yeah, and I'm looking, I'm looking at the, the our... Right. I'm looking at Paul, too. <laughs> I, Flip a um, coin. Yes. Go ahead. You want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think my advice for a new company, right, or a company that's new to the public sector, right, not an, a big prime contractor that's been working with government for 50 years, a, a new company would be start small. There's a lot of business. Government is the largest consumer of products and services in the world. How many billions do we spend at in Arizona State? Well, I could tell you. With our new procurement system over the last uh, four and a half years, we've spent well over $7 billion. So there's a, wow. there's a lot of money being spent. Uh, but if you're a new company, you know, those, we spend that $7 billion in $100 million technology system modernizations, right, right. $2 billion freeway construction. You're not going to get those contracts if you're brand new because you don't have the qualifications. You can't meet the terms and conditions, right? We've gone through all some mm -hmm. of those barriers. So start small. Look at the cities. Look at the towns, right? Pick a smaller project. Get your feet wet and learn how to work with government. So that would be my big tip. Paul? I think you need to, I mentioned it before, but I, I want to mention it again. Study, learn, mm -hmm. understand, right? Align yourself with the needs that the different municipalities or local government or the state needs. Um, if you have a point of view in your offerings, make sure you get and present it to the right people. So I would recommend mm -hmm. find yourself somebody that can help you work through those. I think um, when you think about the employees making decisions, the people working for government, right? They, it's usually understaffed. They are trying to navigate and trying to catch up with the latest emerging, we're talking about technology right now. So the new things that are coming from organizations like ours, we keep putting new things out there. So they, they need to sort through all that. They are looking at you to provide a point of view and to come up with creative partnership solutions with them that will work under the processes that Ed has laid out. But it's important that you provide that, that thought leadership and that long-term thinking of, of a partnership. So that's super important. I keep thinking the word story. Is that You have yes. to tell your story. Absolutely. Am I right? Is that's what you're kind of getting at? You have to be able to present it and articulate it so that the, other, the people on the other end are like, ah, yes, exactly. yes, this makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's critical, right? Um, they have to come through so many different things. Um, Typically, they're doing two, three jobs right now. The great resignation has affected them tremendously. It affects government faster than it affects. Mm -hmm. um, so very difficult to inbound new, uh, new people as well. We've had success by providing a story, a different way of doing things, and being able to partner and create a vision, right? So that's important. So whether you're big or small, they're always looking for great ideas. And we've seen many successful small organizations present solutions. And, and to your point, once they establish those relationships, when you start small, they tend to grow. I know that all my government clients talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So another important piece of advice, uh, consider when you deliver services in public sector, that it has a significant effect, not just with that organization, but typically with the other cities and the other counties and the state, right? It's a small, tiny little small village of people that work together. Let's see. Well, I, I'll jump in on some of this, right? So my advice to suppliers is to understand the state needs 
And when I say that, it's everything is public with the state. So watch the legislation, watch what's coming down from the federal side in terms of type of projects, jobs, commodities. And so if your company has a pretty good marketing organization, they should be able to do that upfront homework to see what the state yes. is going to be looking for in the next fiscal year. So so really understand your, your customer. And when you talk about technology, make sure it's the latest technology happening. We don't want to put a solicitation in. We get an offering from a tech company and that that offering is going to be you know be old in a couple of years. We want the latest technology, and I'll use the microchips as an example. And I talked this at the chamber event. The microchip shortage. It's great that we're putting these chips into Chandler, Ohio. They've invested money so we can build this stuff at home. But technology with microchips that that goes out of out of term every three years. So you've got to stay on top of those things when it comes to technology. And we want to make sure that if we put a new technology into the state, it, it is the latest and it's not something that's going to expire in a year, two years, because that's not adding value to the state, if you would, right? So, so that's what we try to look for. But I think every company that's out there, they can look at their own marketing and do all this up front. And I did give the this team here in the prep the link to our agencies. So there's over 120 agencies. If they go to that link, Steve, they'll be able to look at each agency and see what their type of service is, what type of commodities they need, and that'll help them get smarter when they try to prepare a solicitation that comes back. And I have a question for you. You've mentioned, I think a couple of you have mentioned the infrastructure package, right? The, the Infrastructure and Jobs Act. We're going to be building roads and broadband and redoing the borders and so on and so forth. So billions of dollars coming into the state. We just celebrated one year of that of that act, by the way. But within the last year, we've also passed at the federal level the Chips and Science Act, uh, which is going to support uh, the semiconductor industry. Also, one of the biggest federal packages ever, the Inflation Reduction Act. 369 billion of it is focused on clean energy and electric vehicles. Is it possible that we're gonna have so much federal funding flowing into the state that it will overwhelm the procurement system? That's a great question, Steve. We, we believe we're set up in state as to how we're structured and organized. We are cl clearly going through a transition with the new governor and some offices that are, will be changing out. So that adds to this thing, if you would. So it's very important to make sure me as a state procurement administrator, I quickly go out and talk to those agencies, the people who come into these agencies new, like I did on day one. And we sit down and say, okay, what are your top priorities with all this funding that's coming out and make sure we're in the first quarter, not the fourth quarter, to help them be successful. And I, I, I think that's been a great success story. If I listen to all the agency directors, they're very pleased with that. Do we have the manpower? Yes, we've set up to have the manpower to do this. We, I, All the chief procurement officers across the agencies, they will roll up to my office and we do a monthly forum and we make sure we stay on board. And if we get a heavy load in one area, somebody else will come and raise their hand and offer to take on that task. So we're doing a pretty good job spreading that around. So bring all the money and business you want, Steve. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Paul, you had mentioned earlier that uh, at Google Cloud, you've been working with some other organizations, collaborating, cooperating, and taking on some of the responsibility for the smaller uh, enterprise. Is, is that a, a good strategic uh, way to go about working with uh, with government, um, particularly if uh, you haven't done it before or, you know, it's been light. Tell us a little bit about that kind of collaboration and how well that works. Sure. So a critical issue that happens when you deploy new technologies is you need a knowledge base of people that know how to deploy these technologies. A lot of these people exist in small little pockets of developers and uh, that have come up with great ideas, but they don't know how to navigate the complexity of selling a solution to the government. So we have a process in place where we work with our partners, where they can be part of our um, 
delivery solution. They, you know, they need to meet certain standards and how to work with us. And typically we underwrite the contract on their behalf. They typically sub under us. And then we're able to do this for them. We've seen organizations where they have really smart people. They develop these applications that solve really cool business problems. Uh, we bring them under a brand and then we present those solutions to the state. We disclose all this to the state. They know that we're, we're uh, subbing these partners along the way. And sometimes they're able to, when they deliver as they're expected, they end up with their own relationships with these clients and they, they start from there on. It gives them an opportunity to understand, okay, what's the process? Is this deal, you know, things like timing for, de- uh, for how long these contracts take, and we help them navigate through that. So there's a way for us to do that through some partnerships. It's not for everybody, right? You do have to make sure that you meet certain standards um, because we also take a risk on behalf of those clients, but uh, in, in, uh, those organizations. But yes, there's different ways to do that. Absolutely. Jennifer, does Traversa help facilitate those kinds of uh, relationships, bringing, say, smaller and, and uh, larger companies together to go after an opportunity? I'm glad you asked, Steve. <laughs> you should be on my business development team. <laughs> yes, that that is really one of the value adds that we we present to our clients, right? We work with great companies like Google. We are always being introduced to other companies, emerging technology companies, and in finding those matches to build those win-win projects for government is really, and that's why I do what I do. You know, to that point, we mentioned how complex and how difficult it is and the di- um, for government and state employees to comb through all these solutions. When we create a synergy uh, with mm-hmm. other partners, um, we make the life of those decision makers a little easier. Mm-hmm. We're yes. starting to put the Lego pieces together, right? Instead of coming and dumping the Lego set on your lap, uh, we, we put it together. It's a lot of the work we've done together, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely power in numbers. So if we can get some smaller companies, some larger companies together, so long as it creates a win-win outcome for government, it's perfect. So, you know, I think your organization, Steve, Arizona Tech Council, does provide great opportunities for these companies to learn about government, perhaps network with companies like Google. You're an incubator of sorts for these types of government projects. Yeah, well, I'm going to be talking to both of you after this about doing something together. <laughs> I, I love that idea. Jen, I think you said in the beginning it would make sense, doesn't it, to just create an alignment. Yeah, and much like you're doing with the, the chambers, of course, just this. And you said over again, educate, learn, 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 study, study, study. Yeah. yeah. Well, what he mentioned earlier, um, all this information is public. Unlike in the private sector where you have to spend your time whining and dining executives who may share information with you or buying private data to try to figure out budgets and issues. Government has to be upfront and clear in what their intentions are. So everything's there. It's one of the great benefits. You don't have to guess what what they need. You don't have to guess how much money they have to spend. You don't have to guess who's going to make decisions. It's laid out front. So it the expectation is high from our government partners. They they do want you to come prepared, but it's there, which is fantastic. And they're willing to help you get there. Exactly. They are. And you can find out information on your competitors. So that's one of the beautiful things about government <laughs> procurement. It's transparent. Absolutely. So if you are new to, a, new to the public sector, one of the things, first things I would suggest you do is go over to Ed System, the APP, put in... Whatever you do, you, there's many search terms. It's a great tool. Um, put in a search term for what your technology is. Maybe put in a search term for a company that you admire or a company that you know is a competitor. See if they have a government contract. Guess what? You're going to find their sales pitch. You're going to find their pricing. You're going to find their key personnel. It's all public data. Now, that cuts both ways, of course. Right. Right. Because now <laughs> your data is all public. But, Paul, I mean, that's one of Absolutely. the key key differentiators from the commercial sector. Absolutely. Karen, I bet you want to take us uh, here from another sponsor. We do have another special sponsor who's been with us uh, this year as well as last, Arizona Tech Advocate sponsor, JDH Insights. Let's hear from them next. Thank you, JDH Insights, for being our 2022 Tech Advocate sponsor. 
A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. Karen, I've been hogging all the time. I know uh, you're doing great. great. I, I always love it when you hog all the time. I, I, it's, it's fantastic. So let's, let's uh, fast forward. We only have about uh, 10 minutes left. Let's fast forward to once the deal has been landed, yeah. right? <laughs> now, what should a first-time contractor's next step be? Go out and party, celebrate. Oh, <laughs> That's when the work yeah. starts. Why don't you start and then I'll finish. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you from a customer perspective, the first thing you do, and I mentioned this earlier to Steve and, and some of you folks, you, you get together with the, the people on the customer side who's going to be the project leader, right? And you want to set up a timeline, make sure you understand how you want to start out of the gate. What are some key timeline areas you want to look at? Set up some uh, service level agreements some landing points to show how you're performing on the contract. And you want that communication to always be there. Because what I find, they go down the road, a customer will call, well, Ed, so-and-so is not really performing very well. I says, okay, so have you been having your meetings that are set up in your contract, things like that? Well, no, we haven't, right? So it's a two-way streak. So you need to keep that communication always open. And always, you can re- reach out to your contract administrator or your procurement administrator. If your customers are not being responsive back to you, you just go back to your contract procurement administrator, have the dialogue. They'll get this thing back on track and hopefully keep everything moving forward for you. Anything I would say, to add from Paul or Jennifer? Sure. I would say make sure you meet and exceed those expectations mm-hmm. of what you outlined uh, in your statement of work or your agreement to be. Nothing is, there's nothing worse than having to have a corrective action on a contract because it was improperly scoped or because your team is not delivering as planned. So it requires you to pay close attention to everything that's happening. Remember, all this information becomes public. And and so you want to make sure you've done your due diligence and you're maintaining and exceeding those expectations. The benefit of that, if you do that work, is that you develop a strong relationship and then procuring the next time gets a little easier. You have the qualifications. Not only that, you also have the references that are needed, right? Mm-hmm. My mantra is deliver as if you're expecting a reference from that client right? If you don't deliver to that level, I, I want Ed, when he is done working with me, to be able to say, yes, Paul, Google, Traverse, and delivered on what they said we were going, we did, and we exceeded the executive expectations. That speaks volume more than anything you can do in terms of pricing, in terms of special deals, or anything else. You prompted a question. If a supplier falls down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they they don't meet the requirements of the statement of work or, you know, they boasted about some capability they don't really have. Is there a blacklist, I guess, within the I was government? Wondering the same thing. Is there, yeah, is there a review? Is there, I mean, everything's, pub- um, everything's public well, information, yeah, but it, it, if it, somebody's it, doing uh, well or poorly, do we know that too? Yeah, so back to their, everything being transparent, if you get a corrective action notice, that, that goes in the file. And people regularly or often have public records requests on top of that they'd like to pull, or they can go into APP and see that a particular competitor of yours was having some trouble on the on the contract. And, and so it's, you really, to Paul's point, you really got to make sure your service is there because it is public record. So an important piece, there's not... Nothing goes without hitches, right? There's always something that was not properly communicated up front or misunderstandings. The key piece here is communication, 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 right? Whenever you do that, there's, I believe, and in all my agreements that I've had with my clients, um, we it hasn't been perfect, but because we, we had their interests up front, if we had to take corrective action, before it became a problem, we did that, right? And we've done that several times over. What that enables you to do is to build that relationship of trust 
And it carries you a long way, right? Um, so that's what I mean when you plan, when you decide to start contracting with government, you have to do that long game. You can't be transactional. It just doesn't, does not work. I'm anxious to hear from Jen, who's nodding her head and, and smiling in great agreement, <laughs> because you you play such a unique role um, with all Absolutely. of these entities. What else would you add to this rich conversation? It's always the company's fault. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so don't don't try to turn around and say, "Oh, Ed, you messed up." That's why we're in this place. Always take responsibility, regardless of who you think is the root cause of it, and just make it right. Because government is providing these services that matter to people, and nobody cares who did pointing fingers. Get it done. Take responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah, Dirk. Jennifer, if if I I'd could, like to say, uh, just go a, ahead. Just a comment at at Boeing, we'd always say the customer isn't always right, but they're never wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. Jennifer, you might be the most appropriate person to address this. How can private sector companies develop sort of or build out a a go-to-market strategy in this space? Well, I I think all of the the comments that we've had really lay the groundwork for that. I mean, when you think about a go-to-market strategy, the public sector go-to-market strategy is very similar to a commercial go-to-market strategy. You have to know your customer's needs. You have to know what you're selling. You have to have a persuasive sales pitch. You have to have a pricing strategy right? You have to have your partners. You have to know what your competitors are doing. All things that we've been talking about. I think what differentiates a public sector go-to-market strategy is that procurement strategy, which is why we're having this conversation today. Because it does not matter if your product or service is the best in the world and exactly what they need. If you don't have a government contract, nobody's going to purchase your product or service. So you really have to build out what RFPs are coming? Are there RFPs coming? Do we need to talk to an agency about creating an RFP? Are there existing contracts? Are there companies like Google that I could be a subcontractor on? So you need to think through that. The best person to talk to about that is Ed's office and the procurement officers. They can help you figure out who's who in the zoo. So I would say that um, also the transparency piece. I mean, you're able to really flesh out your your go-to-market strategy because now you have all of this competitive intelligence, right? That's going to help you position your company. And finally, I think we've all been talking about this is find a friend. You got to find a friend if you're going to do a public sector go-to-market strategy. Your friend could be Ed's office. Your friend could be the Arizona Tech Council. Your friend could be a legislator, your city council member, right? There are so many public servants and associations like the Tech Council that are there to help and try to figure out where you should be. Uh, you can always phone me too, but I'm not giving you my phone number on the air. <laughs> Karen, I'm going to give you the last question since I took up so much time today. Thank you, sir. <laughs> How can we increase the use of emerging technologies in government to simplify the procurement process? and get more first-time contractors plugged in. I think we had kind of alluded to this at the beginning of our segment. Well, from a, the technology side, we've, we've done some amazing things. One was this procurement system we put in. October 2018, we talked about we spent $7 billion using this system. It's, it's been very, very productive for the state and all of our state agencies and users who tap into that. So that's, that's one example. During covid you know, the state had a lot of people working from home, and we still do today. I'm, I'm not sure what percentage we got, but maybe 60, 70 percent of state people work from home. So all of our procurement folks, they can do all of their contracts, all their solicitations off of this system working from home. They do virtual conferences for their evaluations of the solicitations. So this thing has been a huge benefit, you know, unfortunately for this bad time we all went through. The other things... Emergent technologies, we talked earlier about making sure you're offering the latest technology when you're submitting your solicitations. One of the key things right now is cybersecurity. So anybody who has that offering, we are going to a state ramp, which is an offshoot of a Fed ramp. Somebody like Paul probably can talk that a little bit more. <laughs> but we, we're transitioning from what the state started was something called ASRAMP, and it was a set of 35 plus requirements that 
suppliers need to meet to help us ensure there's, they've got the right checks and balances in there. We're going to go to a state ramp, which is not far off from Fed ramp, and we have over 300 plus suppliers who are going to transition to state ramp here over this next year, and that's because we want to protect our sensitive data out there. There's been a couple small breaches, and knock on knock on wood, very little, and that the suppliers worked with our Homeland Security team to take those things and and got them off the table real quick. So it's been great. So that's one of the emergent technologies, and maybe Paul has some other thoughts. I actually, can yeah. I have some yeah, thoughts? Absolutely. I have a few thoughts, only because this has been a passion of mine for a very, yeah. very long time. So everything that Ed said, A+, plus. Yeah. only only to a compliment everything that he's mentioned. You know, when we talk about the procurement process and we talk about, you know, creating an opportunity for emerging technologies and new tech companies to get into the system, I think there are some things that we can look at. Um, I'll race through them really quickly because I know we're running out of time. One is to take an outcome-focused mentality for government. Many times our government customer agencies, they do all of this due diligence on business requirements, data requirements, system requirements. They put out the RFP and they basically say, okay, this is what we want. Can you do it? Versus we need to accomplish, we need better service. Well, that gives an emerging technology company a lot more wiggle room to respond to that RFP. Another item is to use pilots. We have opportunities under the procurement code to do demonstration projects, two-year term for innovative new technologies. Being able to work with the state to explore some of those options under the procurement code could give an emerging technology company just a little bit of experience. Maybe streamlining some of the terms and conditions, right? An off-ramp clause. If an emerging technology company loses funding, can't figure out, oh my God, the, the beta version has crashed. Give government the opportunity to escape, an escape valve. And, you know, I think last, and Steve, this would be a great conversation just to have with you. The federal government has done a lot in terms of creating space for new and emerging technologies. And that's really, right. you know, the genesis of that is the defense community, right? So there's different things where there are, there are opportunities for companies and government to come together without the procurement rules and regulations to do innovative new technologies. So, Paul, I'll pass it to you. So good. Okay. So, actually, we've been working with an agency. Okay. <laughs> we've been working with, a, with, with an agency within the state, and their number one complaint is, my procurement process is complex. I don't have the ability to provide my suppliers with what I really need. By the time I finish writing my RFP, it's convoluted. Too much going on. So, some recommendations to what Jen said is, how do we simplify the problem to deliver what we call the minimum viable product, whatever that is, simplify it enough so that we don't put so much money at risk up front, have the ability to do similar to the concept of, you know, innovate quickly and, and fail fast, right? So part of this will require some a little bit more innovative thinking about how we procure these technologies and some of how we write these things in code, right? So part of this is talking to our legislature that says, let's provide funding, more funding for these kinds of emerging technology budgets that different agencies, so they can test out the technology. Nothing is worse than buying into a solution when they've never seen what that solution delivers. Mm -hmm then spending five years later trying to fix it, hundreds of millions, tens or twenties or hundreds of millions of dollars more, and then you're still two, three, four generations behind from when you started. So critical is let's be smart, talk to your legislatures, figure out a way to enable these agencies to have the, the flexibility to, um, to address some of these problems that are critical. They are there. When you go requesting money for unemployment or food stamps or Medicaid, you don't want to do the things that you have to do to get that help, right? Our systems are not set up that way. So this is, and this is why Google is where it is. We, we think we have a point of view on that. And so it's, that's been the funnest part about it. So I'll just add you know, to button this up. Any solicitation that comes in, if you're a supplier, offer an alternative every time if you have one. If you have an alternative you think is better, offer it. We'll take a look at it. Hmm. 
Fantastic. Way to button it up. I love it. Steve, fantastic conversation. I want to give a shout out to Bianca, of course, who is always so great about putting our panelists together and having a pre-call to to make sure we bring the greatest uh, information together. What do you think, Steve? It was excellent. So, so good. Yes. And I I had said in our chat, our little private chat, just to make sure we're staying on board, that this was really obviously informative and a unique conversation for us here on AZ TechCast today. And I really personally look forward to seeing what comes of it. A lot of great little ideas around conversations with Steve and his team to make sure that we continue to help the tech sector become more informed when it comes to procurement. Thank you again, each of you, as we sign off for a holiday ish weekend. We're getting there. I'm already in my mind there. I've got got three days. I've got three days left of work next week coming into the week. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you by Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. Thank you again, Arizona Commerce Authority, for all of your support. And thank you as well to JDH Insights, the 2022 Tech Advocate Sponsor. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. If you're interested in being a podcast participant or sponsor for the Council's AZ TechCast, please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to learn more about the opportunities to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for joining us for AZ TechCast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AZ TechCast with Arizona Technology Council featuring leading tech and business experts that help influence and shape our great state and the industries they serve.